This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning we are continuing a sermon series uh, simply called Creed, uh, What Christians Believe and Why. Uh, And our intent throughout this entire Lenten season has been to use it as a 40-day period of six Sundays uh, to really teach and to engage in these foundational truths of our faith. We are asking uh, really just two basic questions. And those questions are, what do we believe as Christians? You know, what are those foundational, non-negotiable, distinctive uh, beliefs that we claim as Christ's followers? And, and why does it matter? You know, why does it matter for us? Why does what we say we believe, why do these claims about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the church uh, actually matter for how we live our lives? And it is in these two questions that we're trying to seek and prepare ourselves uh, for Easter, uh, Easter, as we'll come back to over and again, is that central story for us. It is the, the pivot point for us as Christians. We are an Easter people. And Lent for us is a chance to prepare our hearts to, uh, to connect our minds, our hearts, our very way of living uh, in a disciplined way that, that makes us hopefully uh, holier on Easter morning uh, than we were on Ash Wednesday. And that really is our, our desire and our journey uh, for these 40 days. And so we've been spending this time really teaching Uh, through what it means to be Christ's followers, those core uh, beliefs that we have, and then how we live live those out. There's two places we've been coming to uh, for our really core source material. Uh, One uh, is Scripture. Uh, We're going to always come to Scripture first. It is what has always taught the body of Christ. It is the Word of God, the teaching of the apostles that that shape and form our imagination. Uh, The second lens that we've come to is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed in the practice of the church, uh, it is the definition of what we believe and, and those boundaries that we set for ourselves about what it means to be Christ followers. And so uh, we have used that here uh, every week as we have uh, sought to understand more about who God is and how we relate uh, to God. So last week we talked about God the Father. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about God the Son and, and this idea of who the person of Jesus Christ is. And so I'm going to invite us to begin by simply saying the portion of the Apostles' Creed that is connected uh, to Jesus Christ. Let us say this uh, together. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So as you can see, as you know, uh, this section of the creed is the longest section of the creed. Uh, It is the one uh, that we pay the most attention to. Uh, It is the one that makes us distinctive. I think that we, as we look across uh, the landscape of religious thought and philosophical thought, uh, we recognize there are many uh, religious traditions uh, that claim some sort of God as first mover, uh, some sort of God as creator, as the, the maker of heaven and earth. We are not unique in that claim. Uh, We not only are not unique in that claim, we're not even unique in the God that we claim as maker of heaven and earth. Uh, If you look at Jewish uh, Judaism and you look at Islam, uh, they both also claim the God of Abraham uh, as that first mover. It is this shift into the second person that really is what makes us as Christ followers unique. Uh, Christians, by definition, is, is really this passage in the Apostles' Creed. It is Jesus that makes us unique. It is Jesus and how we understand the person of Jesus 
uh, that, that creates in us an imagination that is unique and distinct and that has, we believe, has changed. I mean, I know it has changed, but we also believe not only has changed the course of history for the last 2,000 years, but changes the course of our future uh, going forward, that we believe this is how God has made manifest uh, to us. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're not going to actually look at the whole thing. Corey, on the way in this morning, was like, um, you're going to do Jesus in one Sunday? How long's the sermon? We have communion, Tim. I mean, that was what he said. Uh, and so we're not going to do all of Jesus in one Sunday. I promise you that. Uh, we actually are going to spend all of Lent around Jesus. That is just how we do it. We're going to come again to this uh, in-between passage um, following those first few verses uh, on Palm Sunday and then again on Easter. I mean, we will, we will come back to the person of Jesus over and again. And so this morning, we're really going to focus on uh, the first two sort of claims about who Jesus is. And those claims are simply this, that Jesus Christ is his, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And we're going to stop kind of right there. And we're going to begin by asking, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be God's only Son? What does it mean to call Jesus the Son of our Lord, or the Son of God, the Father, our, our, our Lord? And what do those things mean for us as Christ followers? And so we're going to begin by opening up to Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, with verse 15. And so if you have a Bible with you, if you want to open up a Bible app and follow along, we're going to come back to this passage over and again this morning. And so we're going to continually come back to Colossians as we uh, try to understand the person of Christ. So this is Colossians 1, beginning with verse uh, 15. Hear this word from Paul's letter. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So early in the church, uh, they began to debate uh, who Jesus was. Uh, those, especially those in circles that sort of moved further and further away from a firsthand experience, began to ask questions. And who was this person, Jesus? Uh, was he simply a great teacher? Uh, was he a great sort of exemplar, someone that just simply modeled what it meant to live a holy life? Uh, was he uh, someone who uh, did some pretty cool miracles along the way, but whose legacy may hang out in that space and not move further than that? Who was this person? And this debate continued for hundreds of years, especially as you move further away from the events of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And it came to a point in about 300 AD uh, where the church said, we're going to settle this debate once and for all. And they began to talk about uh, this, the personhood of Christ and, and what it meant to be born of God, but also born of Mary. How do you live both as conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of this person and they began to name this in a creed called the Nicene Creed. It was the Council of Nicaea. 
The Nicene Creed was a place where they defined more clearly who Jesus was and sort of narrowed those gaps. And they say, when we talk about Jesus as Son of God, we're talking about Son of the Father, and yet born of Mary, of the Holy Spirit, what we believe that to mean, what we've experienced that to mean, that is that Jesus is both fully human, born of Mary, and fully divine, conceived by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is completely God, 100% God, and 100% man. And it is in these two things that we experience Jesus as more than simply a prophet, as more than simply a teacher, as more than simply a great man that, that engaged 12 people and then circles beyond that. It is, it is in those two truths that we claim distinctiveness about Christ. Fully human and fully divine. And that's where we're going to, again, spend most of our time uh, this morning. So what does it mean for him, Jesus, to be fully, fully divine? We'll start there. So as Jesus fully divine, in Colossians, this is how Colossians describes that. It says in Colossians 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Now, this language should be somewhat familiar for us. As we think about what it means for all things to be created in him, this is not something that is exclusive to Jesus. In fact, just last week, we talked about God the Father, a maker of heaven and earth. And we came to this passage in John chapter 1, as John describes the person of Jesus. Again, we're going to go to Scripture over and again to understand this person. John describes the beginning of who Jesus is. And this is what he says, John 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, John's gospel is a unique expression of this beginning of Jesus. If you think about Christmas and the, the birth narratives of Jesus, we don't go to John's gospel typically uh, to tell that story. Uh, we go to Matthew, we go to Luke. Uh, we tell the story of, of Bethlehem and of uh, Joseph and Mary traveling on a donkey to, to land in Bethlehem and this, this birth of, a, of the God child in a manger in a stable you know, because there was no room for him in the inn. And most often, that's where we narrate the beginning of the story. What John does, John is the, the latest of the Gospels to be written. John, as part of this conversation, takes this birth story of Jesus and says, while that is the true story, and while this is exactly what happened, the person of Jesus, the story of Jesus doesn't start in Bethlehem. And he backs it up all the way to the, to the actual beginning. And it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the spoken word of God, the spoken word of God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, that logos is there from the beginning. Jesus participated in creation. See, Jesus was not simply God's response to our sinfulness. And this is an important thing for us to claim. Jesus being born into this world was not simply there as God somehow having a great idea and saying, I know how to fix this, and then breaking in as a person of Christ to just simply respond to us as broken people. Jesus, the person of God, the Trinity, the triune God, was there from the beginning of creation. God has always been manifest in these three persons, in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us. 
Because we understand Jesus, we're not simply, again, worshiping a man, someone that is just human. But we truly believe that Jesus is God and fully God. Jesus is the full manifestation of God, the place where God's being chose to fully dwell. And from the beginning, Jesus' heart has been for us. From the very beginning of creation, Jesus has known us and sought us and pursued us. Jesus was part of making us. That's an important distinction in how we understand this person of Christ. So that's fully divine. The second piece is fully human. Again, we say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of the Virgin Mary. And so we see not only God at work there, but the, the, the personhood of Mary at work there. And Colossians, this is how it's described, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. When it says Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. The uniqueness of Jesus is that not only was he there from the very beginning of time, but he also was there as a living being who died and was raised again. He is the firstborn of the dead. He has real life and real death. It was real mortality. And again, this is important. It wasn't simply somebody who was an imagination or a dream that sort of pretended or there was some image on a cross. This was a real flesh and blood human being that really gave his life for our sake, that really died, that really bled, that really hurt, that really suffered. Jesus, as fully human, uh, really offered something tangible, something mortal on our behalf. And again, that begins to change how we understand this is not some mythical God that sits far off, but a real person, a real God that breaks in in human flesh and begins to change the story. As we understand this, this actually comes from my favorite part of Scripture, and there really are two creeds in Scripture. Again, we didn't have these creeds early on in the teaching of the church, and yet there were new believers coming in, and so Paul was constantly writing uh, theology. He was writing to churches and explaining what, what, how this works in, in the person of Christ, and so Colossians is one of those, uh, one of the Christ hymns in the New Testament. Uh, the other one from, is from Philippians 2. And this is, as I said, this is, my, this is my favorite scripture. If you wanted to sort of make me narrow it down and said, Tim, if you could sum up all of the gospels, where would you go? I would go to Philippians chapter 2. And this is how Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5, describes this phenomena of God becoming human. Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is God's love for us made manifest in a tangible a human, real way. That this great big God, the God that was there from the beginning of time, the God that was present and knew us before we were even in our mother's wombs, the God that dreamt this whole uh, creation about, that that God loves us so much, that that God broke across boundaries and gro- broke across barriers and chose to engage as a human, to set aside privilege, to set aside stature, and engage in a way that he was born 
uh, to a young mother out of wedlock in an oppressed community uh, to, the, to, to be raised by a father who was a carpenter and a craftsman. And it was out of this place, this ordinary, dusty, dirty, broken place that we see the God of the universe come alongside of us to fully relate to us and to fully live in a way that we might, too, experience the abundant and fullness of life. And there's lots of ways that this matters for us. Uh, One uh, is a way that we talk about Jesus as one who models for us what it means to be fully human. Adam Hamilton, who in this book that we've been reading together, uh, wrote it this way. He says, Jesus demonstrates who God is, uh, what God is like, and what God's will is for our lives. His life and ministry, his death and resurrection shape how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And Mary Beth, you can leave it up there for a second. Part of what we believe about Jesus, about God becoming Jesus, about God becoming human, is that part of the role of that is that Jesus demonstrates for us who God is. Jesus shows us the character of God. God has not been revealed to us in any form except for through Jesus. Jesus is the one that fully reveals God's self to us. And so we can see in the person of Jesus the character of God. We can see the love and the forgiveness and the compassion and the humility. We can see the character of God made flesh in human beings in a way that we ourselves now might be able to look and seek to to imitate that God. So we become people who try to be little Christ Christians, little Jesuses, people who seek to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to behave like Jesus, to have the character of Jesus. And when we do that, we now also have the character of God. That's what we're imitating. The person of God made known to us in Jesus becomes the model for us that we then follow. And scripture tells the story in a way that helps us seek to live like him. And living like Jesus, we begin to look and live like God. But now that's not the only thing God does for us. And theologians uh, have lots of ways to talk about this. Uh, The the word that we use uh, as we talk about this in scholarship is atonement. Uh, Atonement literally means at one with, you know, the at atone, at one. To be made at one with God. We are to be restored and reconciled to God. This is the work that Jesus does. And he does this in two other ways. And this is the ways we talk about it often in church. Uh, ways like being set free from sin. You know, one thing that we recognize is that the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ uh, is practical in that uh, Jesus makes a way, and this is the story we'll tell at communion, to be set free from sin, to be uh, reconciled to God fully, to help us turn away from sin. We believe it's only God's grace that makes that possible. And if we're to look like Jesus, the one without sin, we have to be able to turn from sin. And so we begin to turn from sin only through God's gift and only through God's grace. He also says it's free from death. As the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, Jesus actually conquers death. He shows that there's a path by which uh, death no longer holds us, that death no longer binds us. And so we are set free from sin uh, and from death. So how does this shift things for us? Well, for us, this becomes our defining story. Uh, Just like Passover for the Jewish people, uh, the Seder meal was the practice of remembering uh, what it meant to be set free from slavery in Egypt. 
That is the meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples that night on that Thursday as he prepared to give his life on a Friday. That Seder meal is their central story. It's the story they tell over and again every year. And, And for us, Easter is that. And this meal reminds us that just like the Jewish people were set free from slavery in Egypt, we too are set free. We are liberated uh, from sin and death to live a new life. I mean, that's the gospel. That's the good news. While we were yet sinners, we will confess in a moment uh, our sin. We, is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be reconciled to God uh, through him. I mean, that's the good news. This is the core of our gospel. This is the core of our story that the person of Jesus makes a new way and makes a new path. Colossians 1 verse 19 puts it this way. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus is the way by which we are reconciled. We are restored. We are made at one. We are made right with God. The reason we have hope for eternal life is because there was one who broke in as a person and made a path for that. And then we are constantly to be people who are shaped by that, who are experiencing the restoration of the image of God on us so that we might look more fully like Jesus. And so our challenge is, and this is, again, this is something we hear all the time here, but I hope that it really roots home this day as we talk about the person of Jesus, is how are we reflecting that truth in our life? How is our lives, how are our lives reflecting of the person of Jesus? Are we a people who take seriously what it means to live with the radical love of Christ? To live with compassion, with forgiveness, who live and see everybody as the creation of God, the, the, the people with the imprint, imprinting of the Imago Dei on our hearts that, that we see all people. Are we a people who actually live as if we are free from sin, who, who actually choose constantly to turn from sin? And we live as a people who have a hope of a life that does not end at death, but a life that at death shows us eternal life where we continue to walk and commune with God. Do we have that hope? Do we have that life? I want to close this morning with a quote by Ruth Graham. Ruth was Billy Graham's daughter, and as many of you know, Billy Graham's funeral was this past week as he passed away. He was one of those people who lived, I believe, and I heard this over and again this week, as the person you saw on stage on any day was the same person you saw in his home. The character, the integrity that he held from all the accounts have been shared were, were integrally intertwined. And at his funeral, many people shared stories of his life, but, but they were continually to point people towards Christ. And this is what his daughter said. He said, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. Uh, when we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation uh, is open for you. Uh, God is both the creator God. Jesus is both uh, the one from the very beginning, and Jesus is also uh, the personal God, the one who desires to be in relationship with us. Billy Graham may not have been God, uh, but Jesus was. 
And Billy Graham's whole life was aimed at living a life that reflected Jesus for this world in such a way that people might be continually invited into new life in Christ. And my hope and prayer for us, my hope and prayer for me selfishly and for us as God's people is that uh, maybe, uh, maybe some way, somehow, someday, someone may say something similar about me that they said about Billy Graham this past week. That I knew Tim, or I knew this church, and this church pointed people to God. They reminded us who God was. May that be true of us, that we live in such a way that we remind people who God was and who God is. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, we're going to close uh, this morning as we have every, uh, every Sunday and throughout this series, and that is we are going to profess aloud the, the faith that we share. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we are going to proclaim uh, this truth from the Apostles' Creed uh, together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.